0: I was a professional worship pastor for about for a long time, and uh, I stopped counting at about 3,500 worship services that I've led myself. Uh, and I've just got to tell you, from the other side of the curtain over there, uh, when sound problems happen, everybody's blood pressure goes through the roof. It is the easiest thing. Ty's nodding his head. There's another guy in the room who used to do worship. You remember when I pulled the keyboard off the stand in the middle of a service? Yeah. This man was playing drums, and he he just shake it off, Hudson. Shake it off. You know. So. I'm grateful for a, a team of people that, that lead us in worship and uh, that led me today. Um, if you don't know who I am, I'm, I'm Lee Hudson. I worked over at the main campus for a long time, about 15 years. I'm now a professional counselor. I work with people all the time, just meeting them where they are. And, and so the message that I get to teach today is so pertinent to my work, uh, to my life as a man, as a, as a father, um, as a husband, um, as a friend, a brother, a son, a cousin. I mean, I'm a lot of things. We all are. Uh, but I want to interact today around a question that, uh, that I hear all the time. I hear it in my personal life with my friends, I'm sure you do too. How can, how can there be a good God when there is so much evil and suffering in the world? How can there be a good God when there is so much evil and suffering in the world? If God is so good and benevolent and kind, why are my friends and loved ones facing illnesses and harm? Why are they hurting so much? Why are they dying? Why are difficult things happening to me? What is God doing? The list goes on. Uh, What is God thinking? Why are my hopes destroyed often? Why is my faith and courage challenged so often, almost every day? Why do I fight so hard to lose hope, uh, to not lose hope? Why do I hurt so much? I'm so tired of agony and tears. What am I so afraid of? Where is God? Well, I believe that the Scriptures from beginning to end uh, give us immense hope individually. And they treat this question very broadly. And so I'm going to draw from a lot of different Bible verses and maybe we'll leave with a little bit of encouragement today that that God is good even though we ask the question often, how can there be a good God when there's so much evil and suffering in the world? So I'm going to take you to Genesis 1 first. I'm going to begin at verse 26. Genesis 1 verse 26 says this, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. in the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth." And God said, Behold, I've given you every, every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to, every, and to the birds of the heavens and to every, everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I've given every green plant for food. And it was so. I want to begin with the first point. See, we have to understand that God never intended for human life on this planet to be the way it is today because that's not the world I live in. God never intended for human life on this planet to be the way it is today. The first man, the first woman, they were created on purpose. They were created on purpose. They were made for relationship with the Creator. They were fashioned in His image. He's created for work, destiny, cause. Man's challenge originally was to settle the earth, to be fruitful, to multiply, be a caregiver over and live in this magnificent home called earth. Make it home. The earth was created by God to be a place for man to live and to work and, most importantly, be content and filled with wonder and freedom. Human beings were made to exist in strife-free relationships. That's not the world I live in. We were made to live face-to-face with God, face-to-face with the God of the universe who fashioned us as His reflection. No man can see Him today and live There are reasons for that. God created the earth for us to live in it, be together in it, work and create and share in it, care for it, enjoy it, be with Him in it. It's amazing, isn't it? Sounds like heaven. Sounds like a dream. Today we extract fossil fuels from beneath the desert in the Middle East because that's where we began as human beings. It's all right here in the Scriptures. What is the biblical Eden as the Scriptures teach is now a great big desert. The world we see today is much different than the world God created. God never intended for life on this planet to be the way it is today. And as a result, the book of Ecclesiastes says, chapter 8, verse 6, there's a time and a way for everything, although man's trouble lies very heavy on him. And Jesus confirmed this reality and states in the book of John, chapter 16, verse 33, that in this world you will have trouble. It's a world away from the world God created originally. Jesus said, well, in this world you're going to have trouble. Self-attesting fact in this room today. God never intended for life to be the way it is on this earth. So, point number two, life is never what we expect. God never intended for life on this planet to be the way it is today, and so life is never what we expect. Never. We have trouble in this world. None of us need to be convinced of that. If you tried to get here on Muldoon Road today, you know that. We have trouble. Something changed. We're not in Kansas anymore, Dorothy. In a post-Genesis 3 world, the kinds of relationships and circumstances we experience are very, very different. Somewhere between life and this place of safety and provision and sharing and wholeness and proximity to God in Eden and Anchorage, Alaska, as great as the summer has been. (laughs) I told three of my clients this week I have PTSD from the weather because it's 75 today, but it's going to be 40 by Friday. You know, (laughs) it just makes me twitch, man. Don't tell me it's going to be 80 degrees. I'm going to freak out because Friday it's going to snow, you know. (laughs) ain't crazy. Something happened. Jesus was well acquainted with trouble and suffering throughout his life on earth, throughout his life on earth. Not to mention the fact that his parents left him in town for three days by himself because they just kind of lost him. Isaiah 53.3 says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not." The European artwork just doesn't do it justice, like they, like they missed him, couldn't see him. One of the last things he said to his disciples before ascending to heaven was a statement of encouragement that he had overcome the world. Why was it necessary to overcome the world if it was the place God intended? That's my question. Well, the reason why Jesus said he had to overcome the world is because it needed to be overcome. It wasn't right. It's different from the way God made it originally. Something changed, and because it has changed, Jesus said, in this world, we would have trouble. Life is never what we expect. It is never what we expect. Might I find one person in this room today who woke up this morning to find your life exactly the way you expect? Woke up and said, you know, I, don't, I, got, no, I got no work to do because my life is good. Like, I got no bills, i got no problems, i got no worries, no troubles, everybody's cool with me, I'm cool with everybody else, I'm okay, I've yet to find anybody like that. I'm not like that. Most of the time, I wake up like this kid. Some of you have seen this video, take a look at this. Dizzy. My life's not what I expect. It's just like that. It's just a big orange thing on my arm, man. Now, on a serious note, I'm learning to face the reality that if I'm brutally honest, my life is never what I expect. And some of that stuff we laugh about, and some of it is the reality that my kids get hurt emotionally and physically. They get hurt bad. My son and I were fishing Friday, and he just said, man, last school year was hard, man. It was hard. And it was for a lot of reasons. There's so much change and going on and relationship stuff that was happening with him and sports stuff that didn't work out and just a whole bunch of things. And it, it was hurtful. And it was hard to watch as a dad because I couldn't fix it. My mom's scared most of the time because she's lost five siblings to cancer. So she lives with a mortal fear that she's going to get cancer and die. For good reason. My dad's recovering from an eight-hour back surgery that he had in February. Lost my father-in-law a few years ago to complications associated with a massive stroke. And he died really unhappy. I have extended family members and and former friends who will not speak to me anymore, no matter what I try. I'm making a lot of amends with people that I've offended over the years, and I got a lot of regret for the choices that I've made in my life, in relationships, in ministry, a whole bunch of things that I wish I could not remember. I'm still hurting from things that have happened to me in the past. But who wants to feel that? And even when that stuff isn't bothering me too bad, on the best day of my life, this is the thing, on the best day of my life, when everything's going awesome, it doesn't last I enjoyed a moment this spring with, with my daughter, who's just turned 13 today, became a teenager, and uh, and we were out swimming in the ocean, and she was snorkeling, and at the beginning of everything, everything was perfect. It was one of those it was one of those moments, and then I'm realizing I'm out there treading water, and I'm watching my little girl snorkel around and look at stuff, and I'm realizing it just doesn't last. Like this is awesome, but it doesn't last. I'm not trying to be negative because it's your life. I know it is. If you're human and you have a pulse and you're sitting here. And I have immense joy in my life. I do. My life is thick. You know, people I tell, it's like, well, my daughter's becoming a teenager today. And they go, oh, man. I've heard that so much, you know. And I don't believe I'm naive because I'm, I am, man, we're connected. Like, We're just connected, and is she going to make mistakes? Uh huh. Do I want her not to? Yes. Is most of my disciplinary tactics as a result of me just not wanting to be afraid? Yes. Think about it. Absolutely. I have, but I have immense joy because it's a thick relationship. My my life with my son is thick. With my wife, it's like it's huge. I have a lot of joy, and it's accompanied with immense sadness at the same time. It's weird. Why? Because in a post-Genesis 3 world, I know that the real joy that I experience in my life has cost me a lot. It costs. Real joy costs. The deepest joy I have is intrinsically fused with deep sadness. I think you know what I mean. I, some of you military guys, man, it costs. It costs to be trained well. It hurts. Our life today is not what we expect because God never initially intended for life to be this way. It's the truth. So what happened? So what was so cataclysmically uh, impactful in our history that humans on this planet, I mean, we have to live with ecological changes, as the, and the Bible teaches that. Like there's massive ecological change as a result of this event that happened that caused the world to be the, different than the way it was intended. It's all here. Well, Genesis 3.9 says, but the Lord called to man and said to him, where are you? The Lord God is walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and he says, Adam, where are you? And Adam said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And God said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten, from the, eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, the woman you gave me to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. I'll come back to that. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is... The, what is, what is what is this you have done?" And the woman said, well, the serpent de- deceived me and I ate. And to the woman God said, I will surely multiply your, ch- your pain and childbearing, in pain you shall bring forth children, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. And to Adam He said, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree which, which I commanded to you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you, in pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it will bring forth for you and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread until you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you will return. Much later, after a whole bunch of time had passed, and there was a whole bunch of people on earth, and right before the time of Noah and the great flood, here's a statement from God. The Lord God saw how wickedness, how the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of man were only evil all the time. It sounds very familiar. Here's the problem. Life on this earth is not as God intended. Life is not what we expect. Why? Point number three, we refused God and everything changed. We refused him. We refused God and we still refuse God. Genesis 3 tells a story of the first couple entertaining a question asked by Lucifer. Lucifer didn't do anything. He just asked a question. Did God really say not to eat of any tree in the garden? Eve, the woman, she did pretty well on the first one. She said, no, we can eat of the tree of the garden, any of them, just not that one. For on the day we eat of it, we will surely die. And Lucifer says, you won't die. God's just afraid you're going to be smart like him. God's holding out on you, you see. He's lying to you. What's Adam doing? He's standing there like a dead sockeye. He is. And in that, he made a choice, Right? He's watching a deceiver cause his wife to question the motive of her Creator and the one with whom she enjoyed a face-to-face relationship, and he's watching it happen and does nothing. And rather than both of them running away to their Creator and saying, this is really scary. You're talking, and by the way, you're a snake, so we're not going to listen to you. (laughs) It's kind of scary. So we're going to leave, and we're going to go get our Creator the one who made us, and He's going to straighten it out. That's all it would have taken. So what does she do? And this is us. You couple sitting here, I've been married for 21 years, I get it, okay? This is us. We just live out the curse as husbands and wives. This is how it works. Uh, She takes control of the situation and thinks through a solution. She steps in and says, I got this. She looks at the fruit and considers it's good for food and useful for making one wise, so she took of it and ate and gave to dead sockeye boy who's standing there watching it happen. So she goes to control, and he goes to apathy, and so she's cursed because she's going to want his power and will never get it, and he's going to want to go away. And today, my friends, at least today, at least single moms outnumber single dads five to one. Adam and Eve refuse God, everything changes. Feel my anger? They saw their own vulnerability and this is the thing that rocks me. I mean, every time I go back to this story and think about it and let it infuse my life and teach me, they saw their own vulnerability and it scared them out of their minds. It scared them out of their hearts. And the scriptures go on to say that in order to hide, they sewed fig leaves together to make clothes. Now, I was in a graduate school class last year, professor's from Texas, and she asked this question. She's she's taught out of this scripture. She's a clinical nurse. She does clinical psychology now, brilliant lady. Uh, And she asked this question that I would never considered. She says, have any of you ever actually picked figs? Seventy-five students in this room from all over the country, nobody, none of us were like, "Uh uh-uh, no. She says, well... Um, did you know that the leaves of a fig tree secrete an oil that's more irritating to the skin than poison ivy? And the harvesters have to wear hazmat gear to pick the figs? I was was just dumbstruck. I couldn't believe it. So, I did some some checking. You can go home, you can look at this up. You know, don't do it here because I know you can, but okay, if I see you looking at your phones, okay... (laughs) So I looked it up. Okay, symptoms of contact with the sap of a fig tree can cause, okay? WebMD or something, I don't know. Itching eyes, cough, wheezing, following frequent contact. Single exposure causes skin irritation, itching, redness, stinging, following contact, and exposure to sunlight. Irritation usually lasts only a few minutes, but can be more severe with multiple exposures. So here's the thing. So the the best they could do, like the best solution that Adam and Eve could come up with, the very best they could do was make clothes for themselves out of that stuff. That sounds like, it sounds like a workaholic to me. That sounds like an alcoholic to me. That sounds like drug addicts that, I've, that I meet and they got the needle tracks in their arm and they're saying, no, no, this works for me. It's fig leaves. I mean, think about it. And unless, and, and like, you don't come out of that background of, like, deep substance addiction or base addictions like that kind of a thing, okay. I know there's at least one workaholic in here. I'm not even thinking anybody, but we live in America, folks. And we run to these things, and they're poisonous as escapes. Why? Because we have to, because it's the best we can do, because we do not believe that God holds out for us what he says he holds out for us. We refuse him. We just don't take him at his word. You're going to have everything you need. So they take control, Adam and Eve, us. We are all Adam and Eve. We take control of our situation and rather believe in that God had given us everything we needed for life and living. Best we do, cover ourselves with poison ivy, work harder, drink harder, run harder, recreate. That's a drug, especially here. I got to recreate. We refuse God and everything changes. So here's the thing, I'm going to say this sentence twice because it's just how I think and I'm, I'm a little off this way. So this is kind of where I go, right? I've learned that every, just because everybody's asking, asking a frequently avoided question like this, just because everybody's asking, you hear that, well, how can there be such a good God if there's all this evil and suffering? I don't think that's the real question. And just because everybody's asking that question doesn't necessarily mean that the question everybody's asking is going to yield the answer everybody wants. Follow me? Just because everybody's asking that question doesn't mean that that question is going to give them the answer they want. This is what I think is going on out of my own brain that refuses God still. The underlying question about God's goodness and the existence of evil and suffering in the world sounds more like this, deep inside of me. I hope that you see this in yourself because it's us. If God is so smart and powerful, why doesn't He do something about all the evil and suffering in the world so I don't have to hurt so much and be afraid? After all, He created us, and doesn't that give me license to blame Him for the mess I'm in? That is a fig tree question. It's loaded with the poison of blame and worry. Jesus said, don't worry. Blame and worry, it's what we do. Evil and suffering in the world is a result of human refusal to believe that God is good. I think all the problems in the world can be traced back ultimately to that refusal. I've been saying for the last several years, I think there's only one sin. It's just blown up into 50 million other sins. But there's one sin, refusal. Refuse God. Don't want to deal with the results of that refusal, so we blame him for the result. Adam blamed his wife for everything. I wonder what would happen, and it's impossible to play this scenario out, I wonder what would have happened if Adam's response had been something like, God, I've sinned. I've sinned in my complacence, stupidity, and blindness. I did nothing to stop what was happening because I was just so afraid. We've sinned and we're in need of mercy because we're limited and we're broken and we've disobeyed you. I wonder what would happen today if we lived in a world with no secrets. Well, there would be no no need for courts because nobody would try to hide, and nobody blame somebody else. They just own it. No need for defense programs because men and women would not be at war. And generally speaking, up to Genesis three, there's no talk of sickness and death prior to Genesis three nine. No illness, no pain. So what's there? God's provision, life with Him, face to face, that's it. And so we ache deep in us for Him, for life. We don't even know it. Even the most secular members of the human race know that something's broken. The Apostle Paul knew this. Romans 8.22 says that we know the whole creation, all of it, has been groaning as together as in the pains of childbirth until now. I think he had Genesis 3 on his mind when he wrote that. It's been hard ever since, all the songs about one love, one one world, peace, and figuring it all out and all that stuff. The world is not as God intended, and we know it. But here's the truth, and I prepared this several weeks ago. I actually preached this message over at the other campus a few weeks ago. And I've been on this truth for quite a while. See, it isn't God who changed. Like, he never moved, and he hasn't moved, and he doesn't move. He created us for real relationship with him and with each other, and he gave us everything we needed to do that, and we refused it. And he's never changed. We refuse Him and we become our own God. I will fight that temptation before I leave this building today, my friends. See, the, the, the end of the book of Judges in the Old Testament, I mean, it pretty much caps it. There's a lot of other verses that speak to this, but the verse says, at the very, very last, one of the very last verses, if not the last verse of the book of Judges says, in those days there was no king. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So today we have this thing called moral relativism. You know, you can't tell me what's right, and I can't tell you what's right. And we're all just kind of climbing the same hill, and so you don't tell me what's good, and I don't tell you what's good, and we all just live together. And what it's produced, it's metastasized like a cancer out into ridiculous isolation. How many of you know all of your neighbors within 400 yards of your house? None of you do, unless you're a freak. I'm not trying to insult you. I'm just saying that you would be in the uh, minority. To know everyone who's, who lives within 400 yards of your home, okay? So, we keep secrets. And that cuts two ways. Like, it's a secret about something that I've done. But get this. It's also keeping a secret when I don't tell you that you've harmed me. And when I keep the secret and I don't tell you that you've harmed me, what do I get to do? I get to resent you. So, to you tell me which is more powerful. It hit me this week. I don't know where I was. I think I was driving around and I realized that there's, there's a scripture verse that says, In my weakness, God is made strong. In my humanity, or my flesh, in my flesh, in the part of me that's, that is still trying to work this thing out and let God change me from the inside out, in my weakness, in my weakness, I am very strong. Because I, if, I if I just keep a secret and I don't tell you that you've harmed me, that you're, that you're human too, and that you said something that hurt me or something, and I keep it, I get told to hold a grudge. God never intended for life on this planet to be the way it is. Life is not what we expect. It's a self-attesting reality. Look around. But we've got to understand that this is not because God switched the game. He didn't change. We refused God. Everything changed. We still refuse. We live in a dark world of harm, confusion, relational destruction, and death because of our refusal, not because of God's ambiguity. So we have to ask ourselves the question this morning, folks, um, what is happening when we hold God accountable for the gap between our expectations and our reality? What's going on with that? It's your fault, God. I can't make the Scriptures or my relationship with God currently support the notion that God has ulterior motives. I cannot make the Scriptures say that, that God somehow had this weird plan or that He changes the game just to kind of have fun with us. Quite the opposite. God took on flesh in Jesus Christ and dwelt among us, lived here among us, and became the way and the truth and the life, the way back to what? Life with Him. It's how the gospel works. Jesus said that the road to destruction is wide, it's easy. And there are many that follow it. Easy to be our own solution. <laughs> Man. I'm a legend in my own mind. the result's always the same. You know, the way Jesus said the wages of sin is what? Death. The gift of God is what? Eternal life. It's that polar. life on this planet is not as God intended. Life is not what we expect. We refuse God, everything changed. But okay, so what's next? Like if we just come up for air? So what's next? Psalm 23. Some of you heard this verse your whole life. If you haven't, you're almost it's almost a gift because this is new to you, okay? Even though I walk through the valley, the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. I haven't, thank you for that. I haven't told the story to very many people. So it's here, and Greg prayed that God do something weird, so thanks, Greg. I was three weeks. Five years ago, I was three weeks. Which would have been, it turned out to be three of eight weeks at least in a inpatient treatment center for guys who crash and burn like me. And, uh, part of my journey was to go back into a whole lot of things that happened to me. And I remember them all, but I never put them on one, in one place and looked at them all at once. I thought I was going to die. And I'd made such a wreck in my life trying to cover that up. I didn't realize that's what I was doing. And I was sitting on the floor and I'm not a mystical guy. I mean, I am. I totally believe that Jesus shows up at different times. Um, and when I say I'm not mystical, I mean I'm not I'm not weird like that. Uh, I do there I do believe there are people sitting in this room that hear from God directly, and so I listen. Okay, you know who you are. But that you know, the only qualification is because this stuff just doesn't happen to me very often. And I was sitting on the floor of this apartment and. I could only talk to my family for 10 minutes a week. And I didn't know if I was going to come back and have a job. And I knew, I was starting to get a picture of how many people that I'd hurt in my sickness, refusal. And I was sitting on the floor of this apartment and it was so strange. I felt this, I mean, I saw this, as real as I'm standing here, I saw this black shadow come around my head and I heard those words. Out loud. It just wrecked me. But it was my freedom. Yeah, though I walked through the valley, of the shadow of death. I fear no I didn't hear those words. I felt them. It was so strange. I hadn't even been thinking about that scripture. And man begin a process of understanding not only not only my level of wounding, but my level of refusal to believe that I'd been wounded like that, and then that refusal had done a tremendously harmful things to people. And uh, but I had to recognize this fourth point, that if all this stuff is true, we become response-able. that we're able to, we become able to respond if we realize that it's not as God has intended. It isn't. Something changed, and it was because of our refusal, because of my refusal. And when I started to see that, I started to recognize that I'm response-able to the darkness thing, and the things that happen on this earth, to all of us. And we become response-able. So what does that look like? Like, it's all, I mean, that sounds dramatic and crazy, and it is. Um, but what does it look like for us today Like when we leave here? Well, I mean, these days, I, I, mean, I was driving around town, and I was really mad about something. And I was just angry with God for not fixing it for me. And I'm saying things out loud, and, you know, if you saw me in traffic, I, you would have seen me whamming on the steering wheel and mad about it because it was a big deal. And I'm saying, come on, God, just handle this one, just this one. Like, you, all the other ones, I got that, but not this. You handle this one, will you? Just, hand, just take care of it. I don't want to feel it. Sometime, I mean, another time I was standing in the kitchen and I was furious about something. Now, I don't even remember what it was, you know. But the Apostle Paul says in Romans 7 that I'm both flesh and spirit and they war against one another, which means my flesh is always talking, trying to get me to blame everybody else and make it everybody else's problem so I don't have to be scared. I don't have to be mad. I don't have to be uncomfortable. Or this is the word of the year, I think, frustrated. I'm frustrated. No. (laughs) If you bust that word apart, it's I'm terrified and you're getting on my nerves because I don't want to be afraid, okay? Okay. So it was something like that, and I felt the comfort of the Spirit of God, just like that in that moment in that that apartment, and he's just like, I felt him nudge me, and he's like, you know, I really love you. And I felt my body just recoil, and I'm like, stop it. Just let me be mad for a minute, okay? Just let me have it. And I realized that that's exactly the kind of relationship that that God had with Moses. He spoke to him as a man speaks to his friend, that's what it says. As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. Ecclesiastes said, a three-quarter strand is not easily broken faithful are the wounds of a friend. That's all in here. And I realize that God's my friend, and he, and he nudges me that way, and then He'll nudge me through other people, and that's really infuriating. But we're connected spiritually. See, it's a spiritual thing. And in the last year, at least, I've become increasingly glad that God is so patient with me. Because without fail, every time, if I would just tell the truth, not keep the secret, but tell the truth about what's really bugging me, it's not like he doesn't know, but he wants to do a relationship with me. So he wants me to talk to him about it. Sometimes I do that by myself. Sometimes I do that with my close friends. And they hear, they don't hear the G version of that stuff. It's the way it goes through my brain. And that's not nice because of, well, I digress we got to tell the truth about where we are so that God can do a relationship with us because He will not compete with our refusal. But I get honest with where I am and I cry out to Him from the middle of the valley of the shadow of death because I can't go up around it. You can't go up around it. You're in it. The instant you try to find a path around it, it's your stuff, that's your control, that's your refusal. Instead of recognizing that the spirit of Jesus is in the valley with you and he doesn't move. He just says, you don't have to be afraid because I'm with you. And I'm a lot of things to you if you'll just stay here with me. So every time I give myself space to ache for him, without fail, he reassures me. Without fail, he reassures me. And every time he, most of the time, he does it through another person. Something happens in a conversation. Somebody calls me out of the blue. I get a text message. I get an email that encourages me, and it happens so many times this week. I've lost count. I mean, I've lost count since the last time I spoke this message over at the other campus a month ago. I've lost count, folks. It happened this morning on my way here. I get a phone call, and I'm just, I just, you know, it's just, it, he's there. And I realize that God is a really great parent. You know, He really is. He just lets me blow off steam. Doesn't get in the way of the appropriate consequences for my actions, didn't get in the way of it. But He doesn't condemn me either, and He provides for me in really wonderful ways and in ways I never, ever expect, ever. Even when life is unpredictable, he teaches me in the spirit, and I find I find wisdom in that. I wrestle through things, and the example of his son Jesus teaches me. And what do I get to experience? What do we get to experience? The life of Christ that he intends, a Christ-like life where we tell the truth with one another and we and we endure together not just survive, like we endure, we persevere. Why? Because if you're a transformed follower of Jesus Christ, if God has done the work inside of you, He's made you to be an emissary, and you get to wear His ring, and you get to go get some before all of this is over. Some more, uh, more people who've not been affected by that truth yet because they're still in refusal. So who's the solution? You are. I am. You see that? Like, yeah, can God snap His fingers and fix it? Of course. What glorifies Him more? If He can get you to do it. Because of how he changes you to do it. Because of how he alters me to do it. So I've become a warrior. And I'm a good one. Not a shred of arrogance in that. He's made me to go after people. He's done that for you too. But the reality is I need him more now than I ever have. And believe it or not, for, for years, and I've, man, I have tremendous guilt saying this here, but I really thought that the longer I follow Jesus, the less I need him because I haven't figured out. So, any of you ever do that? Okay, you let me hang. That's all right. I need him more now than I ever have. And the more I recognize how goofed up I am and the part of me that's flesh, the Apostle Paul is great at this. Like he's like, I, this thing I think, I want to do this and I can't do that because I do this thing and I don't, and he's going back. Well, he sounds like me, you know. And the part of because I'm goofed up inside, there's a part of me that's goofed up and just wants to be comfortable. I just don't, I don't want to feel any kind of pain. And the result is that I feel more alive, and I'm more alive when I surrender to Him. And He teaches me in, in crazy, creative ways. It's amazing, and I take responsibility and I become response-able because stuff that you don't like is going to happen to you today. Probably. It may be just that the remote control doesn't work on the TV. I, I don't know. But it might be something serious. Like, you could get a phone call today, and it's serious stuff. You can react, or you can respond. You can blame everybody else, make it about you, or you can respond. That's the difference. And where Jesus finds us is in the pit of the valley of the shadow of death. And and where are we when we're in the middle of the valley of the shadow of death? Just furious and sad and scared and alone and just need to say it. Let Him be with us in it. And we're alive. That's a response. Deuteronomy, the book of Deuteronomy records God saying, Behold, I set before you life and death, so choose life. Choose life. What is life? Respond. Sounds like this, God. I'm scared. I don't. I, I don't have what it takes to deal with this. I'm not I'm just. I don't. I'm not strong enough. And I do that with a brother who loves me. Actually, there's probably four or five of them. I just tell the truth. This hurts so bad. Man, it hurts. It's sad. It's, I've lost something, and I'm really sad about it. I really, man, I dropped the ball on that deal and I just, I wish I was perfect and I'm not. How do I go back and make amends to that person? How do I go back and say I'm sorry? And I want to because then I'm going to have to see myself and that stinks. I don't want to. You see that? That's response. It's not reaction. Reaction is, okay, I'm just going to leave. I'm just going to go fishing and, you know, get away or whatever. And I talk about, I talk about just how bad I hurt on the inside. And there's freedom in that. So I told a friend of mine, I was getting on the on-ramp to head out to the valley to my folks' place, and I was talking to this friend of mine, and I said, you know, I think uh, five years after that night on the uh, floor of that apartment when I was just so lost and busted, um, five years later, I laugh harder and cry deeper. And I'm more alive, closer to Jesus than I've ever been. It's weird. Beautiful. So the truth is, we can ask the question. Like, we can get stuck on the question and say, well, how can there be a good God when there's so much evil and suffering in the world? Here's, the, here's my answer today, and it might seem thin to you, uh, but I think it's what the Scriptures teach. Okay? God is good. He's always been good. He hasn't changed. And there is evil and suffering in the world. But if we'll step in, and we, we link in together, and we begin to talk about what, what that does inside of us, and we, we will learn a place of dependence on Him and recognize that He's there all along and never stop being good, still inviting us into life with Him and went a long way to give that to us. It's good stuff. So the worship team will come forward. and just want to give you a minute to think. You might just bow your heads and close your eyes and just think about the reality that God sees you his heart is inclined toward you, his truth is for you. I stand here Lord Jesus and I just replay the events of my own life this week and I realize that it's been a lot of a lot of things and that there's great hope in that because I've rem- I remember it all for one thing and uh and there's been so many ways in which you've communicated your presence to me in the last 7 days even in the last 24 hours and my hope would be that there wouldn't be anybody sitting in this room today standing behind me that would think that there's some kind of magic formula to that or that we have to aspire to be a certain way before you'll catch our eye you never asked us for that all you've asked us to do is come to you and be like a little kid and just run to you and just say this is what's going on inside of me and i don't like it and it's really scary and are you there and do you mean what you say and we get to have this immense privilege of holding you to your word and you're more than great more than glad to do that to reassure us all the time of who you are and what you hold for us and that your promises are too great to be numbered. And so there are sons and daughters in this room. Uh, There are fathers and mothers and there are husbands and wives and a whole lot of other things. And there's just no way that this room is free from relational pain, free from strife and struggle, free from situations that don't cause us to believe that we just can't do it anymore. And I'm so grateful today that I don't have to do it. Then all I have to do is just step in and be with people who love me and people whom I love that will tell the truth, and we bring that to you, and man, there's, your scriptures scriptures loaded with that truth. It's, we come together and we talk with you about it and talk to each other. Your presence is there, and you're completely trustworthy, and you haven't changed, and so... We spend a few minutes worshiping and we go about our weeks today. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable to you and that they'd be an encouragement to my friends here today. And that but uh, then in it all we would we would be encouraged with the reality that you have never changed and you are still good. I'm grateful for that in Jesus' name. Amen.